0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Skeptics Stack Exchange podcast. Uh, This podcast is hosted by Marco Ciacconi and Steve
1: Lundquist. Good afternoon or evening or whatever time it is that you're listening. Thank you so much. So today we're going to talk about um, quotes. So what are quotes? Well, it's, you know, basically uh, anytime someone says something and uh, people... Uh, like to think that that uh, statement either supports or refutes a position they may hold or kind of just a a nugget of wisdom, perhaps, that comes from an individual or something funny um, or something that in hindsight is very wrong. And, you know, someone, especially a person that is in a position or viewed as an authority or particularly intelligent, or has, you know, has some influence over other people, you know, if they say something, they kind of use that as maybe an argument as to, you know, why people should think or behave in a certain way. It's
0: like super insightful.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Yep. So, there, as, as our listeners know, there are a bunch of these going on in, on the internet, we, we do accept this kind of questions as long as they are reasonably popular um, and we can deduce that a lot of people actually believe this claim. Yes. But, mm, so we have got a bunch of them, but we're going to start with a um, so-called canonical question or a question which has received a lot of attention. And this one is, did Bill Gates say that vaccines and healthcare could reduce the population growth by 10-15%? so uh, numerous sites have um, claimed that um, Bill Gates said this the world today has 6.8 billion people that's headed up to about 9 billion now if we do a really great job on new vaccines healthcare, reproductive uh, health services we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent and I think the implication here even though it's not stated is that vaccines Instead of you know saving lives,
1: they're gonna re- kill people. Yeah. Well, actually, in the question, he does. They, it's uh, you know s- treated as an admission of his malicious intent uh, behind these programs as population control measures, whatever that may be. Yep. Um, and and you know this is this is kind of a humorous, although you you can't discount the fact that no people really do believe that you know. These evil rich people who are controlling the population and they want to keep us compliant and docile, or whatever the case may be, um, you know, have these nefarious uh, intents. But yep. So the what? What is the
0: answer here? Um, the, uh, there is an answer by uh, gentis and is a highly voted answer. has one hundred forty eight upvotes and. It turns out that he actually did say this so he said that in society after society he saw uh, when the mortality rate falls specifically below 10 deaths for uh, 1000 people the birth rate follows and population growth stabilizes it goes against common sense Gates says most parents don't choose to have eight children because they want to have big families it turns out but because they know
1: how many of their children will die <laughs> it, it, yeah this is a classic example and you kind of almost are seeing this more and more in uh you know western industrialized societies where the birth rate is falling at you know in some cases below uh two children per couple.
0: Yes uh, yes uh, well um uh, I I have only one child for example.
1: <laughs> same here imagine that. Yeah. Um yeah so it it really does um you know, it, yes, he really did say it. Uh, you could source that. You know, um, I, there's an actual link to his 2010 TED talk where he says that. But you know, it's far from nefarious. It's uh, it's humanitarian. Uh, uh, absolutely, and you know, it's
0: if you remember, China has tried to reduce their population growth very aggressively, and that led to a lot of lot of problems. And they did it uh, directly, right? So they did. It
1: by not letting people have uh, more than one child. Yes, yeah. It, so it was a different approach that uh, probably, again, kind of goes against perhaps more instinctual uh, um, ways that uh, humans operate. I, I would like to comment that, uh, you know, before people go and think that they're, you know, wow, who could believe that uh, it is a nefarious thing? One of the deleted answers <laughs> is actually a direct, yep, you know, Bill is a huge advocate for eugenics, or his dad was, and is being sued by India for, you know, the vaccines that killed 50,000 children and things like that. So, yes, there are people, they even come to our site, um, you know, that actually believe that there is still a nefarious uh, need behind this. There are actually
0: two questions, uh, two answers of people that they just said, no. Yeah. yeah. This is obviously, obviously is the devil.
1: <laughs> so, it, it, and again, uh, you know, the one thing, and this kind of shows a little bit about, uh, you know, quotes and why sometimes it is hard uh, to address them skeptically is that a lot of people ask for interpretation. So unless, you know, the quote has been sort of quote mined and there's context around it to really give the interpretation meaning, um, you know, it can make it for a difficult uh, question to answer. This case, it wasn't that difficult to answer because the entire talk is there and it uh, yep. s- explicitly states.
0: Yeah, their the quotes are, are really really difficult. This one was a was a, an example in which it's, it was actually easy,
1: but yes. we're gonna see cases in which it was much more complicated, and we'll yeah. see why. Yeah. So if, if you guys are asking questions about quotes, use this as an example, please. And that's question 31042, just in case uh, you want to look it up.
0: Yes. Um, another, another question on quotes is, did Einstein say this about his marriage? And this is a long thing. He says, uh, okay, I can't do the German accent, but when we first got <laughs> married, we made a pact. It was this, so with his wife. Uh, It was this, um, in our life together, it was decided that I would make all the big decisions and my wife would make all of the little decisions. For 50 years, we have held true to that agreement. I believe that this is the reason for the success in our marriage. However, the strange thing is that in 50 years, there hasn't been one big decision. So, this is a funny quote and... It's attributed to the king of quotes, Albert Einstein. <laughs> yes. Um,
1: I I love the first comment in that. Uh, you know, someone quotes, "Did Einstein say?" And their answer is, "Probably not." Yeah. Um, you know, and this is a perfect example of someone. Uh, you know, you know, when Einstein was alive, he was as big a celebrity as any um, movie star. You know, that we treat in uh, this day and age. He was the end-all be-all authority on everything, anything, because of his uh, perceived extreme intelligence, and that intelligence should apply to everything in life, the universe, and how you should live your life. Um, and, you know, posthumously, he has said some amazing things. Of course.: <laughs> <laughs> In this case, in this case, so.
0: There are a bunch of answers. Actually, one is mine here, um, mm-hmm. but certainly not the most upvoted. So the most upvoted is by Odd Thinking, uh, which is our one of our other moderators on the side, and he dis- debunks the quote by making the, the following argument. Uh, Einstein was married twice. The first marriage uh, was to Mileva Maric, and uh, lasted 16 years. The second marriage was to Elsa Lowenthal, which was his cousin, if I'm not mistaken, and mm-hmm. it lasted 17 years. So no 50-year wedding, therefore, is yeah. probably, probably not correct. It could yes. be distorted.
1: Now, um, you know, so this is an interesting one, and this is one of the reasons we don't like quotes that much, is that you're trying to assert a negative. Um, however, um, one of the other answers in here that also is quite highly upvoted by Dave PhD Um, that I kind of like, he does go and try to find, well, who did say that and where does that come from? And it's attributed to actually uh, a few places. Um, You know, uh, Garson Cannon um, was a book uh, author that uh, wrote a book called Hollywood Stars and Starlets, Tycoons and Flesh Peddlers, Movie Makers, Money Makers, Frauds and Geniuses, Hopefuls and has Great Lovers and Sex Symbols. Whew. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. And he does, you know, attribute it to um, Albert Einstein in his book, um, but then um, he was reattributed to a pre-existing joke that uh, ended up, if if I can remember, um, going down to uh, some uh, John Charles Daly. Um, and there, you know, they, they expand on it. Well, what are the big decisions? Oh, yeah. are we going to recognize Red China? What should we do about Nasser? Things like that. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's a humorous anecdote, perhaps. Uh, and, you know, is easily one of those that you, you know, can attribute to someone who you think is smart. And, uh, you know, that should be a reason for you to follow that in your life
0: yes and um, in this particular case uh, dave phd is digging back uh, back in time and he finds the oldest the oldest quotes with a similar text that he found is from 1947 um and is not attributed to einstein so they found a bunch of examples where it's not attributed to einstein so that doesn't prove that einstein did not say it again yeah. but at least it gives us another possible uh, competing claim yes uh, which is you know it is something like it, which started as a joke and then got to att- attributed to Einstein yeah. uh, from a temporal standpoint it makes total sense right because we see it's not attributed to Einstein for a number of years and then from some year on it starts to be attributed to Einstein so in my opinion that's quite conclusive
1: yes I would say very conclusive but you know can you prove that Einstein never said it as a matter of a joke? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> he could have been at a cocktail yeah. party and made some pithy comment because he read it in uh, you know the book that uh, Dave PhD um, yep. talked about. Uh, Senator Jack Rogers talking. So who knows?
0: Yep. And um, in, in my answer, I just try to I just try to add a little bit. Uh, Is first. Marriage was really strange. He had a terrible relationship with his wife. He made her sign a contract in which <laughs> yeah. she she basically says, uh, "I'm gonna be your servant," mm-hmm. and so that can't be the same wife uh, we with whom we stayed fifty years. And yeah. the second wife he was instead very much in love with, but. There is no there is no evidence. So this, this shows uh, that a false quote actually can be much harder to trace down. And the reason is that we are trying to prove a negative here.
1: Absolutely.
0: So it's really hard to prove that Einstein did not say this. And the kind of things that we can do is either prove that it's very, very unlikely because some of the things inside the quote don't match with what we know about Einstein, or we can find the real origin of the quote. In some cases, we can actually do that. You know, Someone uh, stands up as the origin of the quote, yeah. and it does happen. So in this case, we had a sort of a hybrid of the two. None of them are 100% convincing, even though some of them get interesting. Yeah. Another example... So, this is about Ray Bradbury and his book, Fahrenheit 451. Um, so, did he, so Ray Bradbury, ever claim that Fahrenheit 451 was not about censorship? So, one of the persons I follow on Twitter rec- recently linked to this uh, news article, news article which is on some random site. Uh, basically, Ray Bradbury says... Uh, the main theme of the book is not the role of the mass media and its effect on the populace Um, nobody uh, accepts this as a true theme of the novel and what else does it say that the perfect example of this was a time where Bradbury himself was giving a lecture on the novel to a class of college students and upon casually mentioning the theme of the novel was the dangers of television? It was stopping its tracks. by someone loudly exclaiming, "No, it's about censorship." So did these kind of
1: things ever ever happen? Well, oh, so th- this is actually again uh, a good one um, because you can actually find source documentation where. Ray Bradbury did say specific things. Um, I guess it helps if you've read Fahrenheit 451 as well. Um, And again, I I think it's, you know, probably a quote that may make more sense to the people who haven't read the book more so than the people who have read the book. And I think there may also be a little bit of... um, you know, some interpretations uh, that, um, you know, people are unsourcing these particular quotes and then uh, saying, well, you know, it's scandalous. Um, so we have an answer from uh, Dave Ph.D. We seem to say his name quite an awful lot. Yeah. Um, and and he does have wonderfully sourced um, answers. And uh, there is an actual RayBradbury.com. And uh, he talks about it. And he specifically states, yeah, he was worried about people being turned into morons by TV. (laughs) It's not about censorship. It's about the moronic influence of popular culture through local TV news and the proliferation of giant screens and the bombardment of factoids. All the popular programs on TV, the competition programs, they don't give you anything but factoids. They tell you when Napoleon was born, but not who he was. So it doesn't matter about the date. You should not, never memorize dates. To hell with it. So we moved on to this period of history that I described in Fahrenheit fifty years ago, um, <laughs> and it's it, you know it is actually kind of funny. Um, you know, again, if you've read the book, I think for the most part, unless you have someone who is relatively misinformed attempting to guide you in the reading of the book, you do see that. Um, I think it's also a bit ironic because yes.
0: uh, he, he complains about factoids being spread, and you know his own statement about factoids being spread has become a factoid now.
1: <laughs> yes. So I do feel sorry, uh, or feel so, would have feel sorry for the man uh, <laughs> if I ever had a chance to meet him, because that's <laughs> you know it, it's kind of one of those sort of things where you know your worst uh, fears are just staring you right right in the face.
0: Yes, um, and again, um, it's a, it's a it's an question which has a definite answer. We found out that it's true. So mm-hmm. this is one of the ones that turned out to be easy or relatively yeah. easy, even though it may not be that easy yeah. if you don't know it, where it, to look.
1: Yeah, and, and to the other uh, claims within it, um, uh, you know, they ask about did he have an argument with uh, college students? And again, uh, from an interview with... Uh, Weller um, he's in a book called Listen to the Echoes uh, The Ray Bradbury Interviews he does state, you know, he was lecturing at Cal Fullerton once and uh, they misrepresented uh, the book and after about half an hour of arguing with them and telling them that they were wrong I said, F you, I've never used that word before and left the classroom so
0: (laughs) Yep, and also apparently um, the fact that there are some people that uh do not agree uh, with the mass role of mass media and they th- think it's about censorship or other things. So, uh, yeah. there is some controversy there, it's not a unanimous kind of interpretation, even mm-hmm. though Ray Bradbury says whatever. Yeah.
1: But the, the fact that, uh, the, again, the claim is, is it true that virtually nobody accepts that the main theme of the book is the role of uh, the mass media and its effects on the populace? I would say no. Uh, a lot of people actually accept that. Uh, you know, the, There's the Ray Bradbury, A Critical pe- Companion by Robin Reed, pretty much comes right out and says that his main theme was the extent of which technology can be used for social control, specifically through the use of mass media for all entertainment and education. The novel describes people being bombarded 24 hours a day by TV class, film teachers, TV parlors, and televisions. And she does compare and contrast Fahrenheit 451, again, the effect of the mass media with Orwell's 1984, and she explained, you know, which is more of the, you know, government control of every aspect of your life and surveillance. And she explains that Fahrenheit 451, only after most Americans choose to give up reading, seduced by the simplicity and presence of the mass media, did the government step in. And, you know, that's, you know, different than it's saying it's about the censorship so i did I did really like uh like the answer on this um, and I found it uh fascinating there is an interesting comment
0: and just to give a counterpoint mm-hmm. um, that it could be revisionism right um so a an author May not be the ultimate authority on their own work because we always assume that what they say is honest, intellectually honest, which doesn't is not necessarily the case. So we it depends on how much we believe that Ray Bradbury is actually stating the truth when he says that.
1: True, and that you know that that comes down to you know do you necessarily. Discount what they say? No. I mean, you should perhaps lend cre- some credence to the person who was writing it and had the message that they were attempting to say. But do people change their minds and opinions and outlooks as they progress through time? Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> New question. Did Bill Gates says uh, say... Did Bill Gates say uh, 640k of memory ought to be enough for everyone? So this is a super famous quote um, about uh, MS DOS and mm-hmm. Bill Gates.
1: It, and I find it funny. I think Bill Gates is kind of turned into the Einstein of our day in terms of viewed as an incredibly smart, successful individual. So therefore, you should listen to what he says. And you know, people are attributing numerous quotes to him in some way or another. Even though this one is is also only quoted
0: to make fun of him.
1: Yes. Well, and and that's, uh, you know, it's a common theme. Sometimes people like to take, uh, you know, take successful and smart people down a peg. (laughs) That's true. Uh,
0: There was, um, it's also true that the 640K limit was something that I think, I think it was IBM put in the, the, pc and it was a it was a real problem for os de- os developers and um, for application developers mm-hmm. so it was a big big annoyance there were a lot of workarounds which were really terrible and so that's why that's why people quoted it you know all the time says ah bill gates you know makes this crap operating system and
1: he, he was convinced that we'd never need this much memory <laughs> uh, and I think too you know in the 90s as Windows was really really taking off it was quite the memory hog at that point so they kind of used that to, that you know misattributed quote to, to him to kind of throw back in his face you know why are you developing this operating system that hogs so much memory so Okay, so Bill Gates himself did address this twice, uh, in, according to the Joe's Joe Zazz, I don't know how to pronounce his username, you people with extra Z's and such in your names. Um, you know. In 1996, he wrote that, you know, he said some stupid things and some wrong things, but not particularly that one. Um, and he does talk about that they kept running into that uh, 640K memory design limitation but uh, you know again it's a rumor that has been you know repeated again and again repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth Um, so that's something that he wrote in 96 in career opportunities in computing and more and uh, then in uh, 2001 um, US News uh, article in the Business Times again says you know he talks about the pain the industry was going through with that IBM PC limitation uh... at 640 K and um, yeah, you know, other people have talked a little bit about uh... you know that the limit actually came from the processor that the IBM guys were using and how uh... it was addressing certain blocks and things like that so you know, it's it's a fascinating technical question and you know i can see where some of that comes from but unfortunately no he didn't say it it's,
0: in that way. And there is another question that says the, the evidence is inconclusive. I have checked that source, and I don't really agree with it, with, the, with this user, Stighammer. Uh, if you actually read the source, is uh, sort of debunks. So it agrees with the other two answers, so the one by Joseph and the one by Thomas O, which also says no. Uh, at yeah. least according to Wired. And if we go and look at uh, what Stighammer linked to, which is quote, investigator, he, they have found uh, other instances of uh, different people um, originally saying this. So it was a common sentiment, but some people uh, actually said that, for example, uh, Jerry Purnell, who was a computer columnist and prominent science fiction author, um, who actually said and this is true uh, my first m- microcomputer had 12k of memory when i expanded to 64k i thought i had all the memory i'd ever need i you know i i know better now
1: yeah. and
0: and this has been
1: a problem over and over and over uh so i don't know
0: yeah
1: and, and uh, uh mason wheeler makes a good comment as well is you know so maybe he did say something like that and then when asked about it he's like of course I didn't say that in hindsight obviously I'd know better uh, type of thing so you know people could you know again this is one of those where you're attempting to prove a negative and it's so you know that's one of the reasons we don't particularly like those types of questions but again in this in this particular case you can do some research and get to what you would probably you know say is a decent consensus on this
0: yeah i totally agree with you
1: mm-hmm.
0: now a new a new question about the quotes um actually no this is not about the quote uh this is about hillary clinton and yeah. we're gonna uh, have
1: questions.
0: yeah questions about about donald trump and hillary clinton are popping up like crazy uh i wonder why <laughs> um, so we have a at least a, a couple of more months of that i guess
1: <laughs> yes unfortunately
0: uh, i find uh, i don't don't particularly like these questions for a couple of reasons in many cases they're just due to like something that was claimed in the u.s media so they are they really have very very little interest outside uh the united states because nobody yes. nobody even know what 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 the polemics is about and i'm not, I'm not yeah. talking about the polemics between um hillary clinton and donald trump because everybody's following that but it's more about you know this specific thing and in particular in this particular case uh it, the question is did uh, hillary clinton refuse to designate boko haram a terrorist organization when the fbi cia and the justice department asked which i mean I, it's a fair question and um, it's just i as a, as a european viewer i don't even know why it has been
1: asked on You you have to look at the source on this. I think this is probably uh, one of the more um, charged sources. So Breitbart is a very conservative-leaning news organization in the United States. Um, I, I, I believe that, you know, if President Obama declared that the sky is blue and you shouldn't eat yellow snow, uh, Breitbart would instantly have a rebuttal up as to why the sky is not blue and how nutritious yellow snow is. So, um, you know, But they do say that, uh, you know, as Secretary of State Hillary Clinton refused to designate Islamic State affiliate Boko Haram in Nigeria, which was named the deadliest terror organization in 2015 as a terrorist group. She did not only refuse, but she hindered the efforts of members member of Congress who were trying to make the designation. The FBI, CIA, and Just Department wanted Boko Haram designated, but ultimately the State Department opposed the designation despite hard evidence from our intelligence services. Then they ask, is this true? And Um, the answer that we get is
0: pretty pretty long, but if I can sort of um, summarize it, all the answers seem to claim that there is some truth in this. However, it's not as bad as it's made to be sounding. (laughs) Um, So, Boko Haram was not designated as a terrorist organization a long time ago, uh, so five years ago, when probably it didn't fit the requirements for being considered a terrorist organization.
1: Yes. It's, it's so it's it's kind of true. There was a period of time from 2011 to 2013 where the State Department debated. You know, could Boko Haram be classified as a direct threat to the U.S.? Um, you know, so that's one of the big things there. It, you know, is it a threat? You know, because they are generally only operating in the uh, area of Nigeria. Um, and uh, you know. Up until about 2013, they did, you know, Boko Haram leaders were getting more and more active, and then in 2013, they said, well, okay, they could be considered a threat to the U.S., but, you know, again, I I like to kind of go back to other, you know, statistics in that, you know, you're more likely to be shot by a toddler in the United States than you are by an Islamic terrorist, You know, you you need to actually kind of go to those places. So are they a clear and present danger to citizens in the United States who never travel to Nigeria? Probably not. Now, are they a threat to U.S. interests in the region? And yes, you can probably say that. But they, you know, like any organization, they started building up their acts of terrorism and such they didn't suddenly appear on the map and were instantly this great threat. You know they, they had to recruit, supply, declare allegiances, etc before you know the organizations uh, claimed um, that were advising on this would s- designate them a terrorist organization. I did find um, it interesting that in the claim, that uh, Boko Haram was named the deadliest terrorist organization of 2015. Um, is is that a, a an award show that I missed? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay, because uh, you know that that seems to be an interesting claim that I don't seem to be able to track down. Um, and the uh, you know the other thing too is that you know does the FBI um, and the Justice Department as well as the CIA decide on, you know, which organizations are necessarily declared terrorist organizations and such. So, again, there seems to be a lot of dubious and spurious claims inside of that quote from Breitbart that, uh, you know, surely that there may be advisors, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that they get involved in those types of designations even then
0: I I mean I, I don't really get this <laughs> I mean okay let's say let's say it, even if it's true right what are we saying that Hillary Clinton is like you know a friend of Boko I don't think
1: <laughs> she is and you know, <laughs> well is again Breitbart news site they that is the implication that uh, I would think they are tempting to push <laughs> it seems, you know, because well, her and uh President Obama founded ISIS too, and I'm sure Breitbart has run with those assertions by uh Mr. Trump. Yeah, but that's, that's just
0: because uh, President Obama is a Muslim. Yes, everybody knows that.
1: <laughs> everybody knows that, and and Hawaii is part of Kenya. Yep.
0: <laughs> Next question: Have edible jars of honey being found in thousand year old Egyptian tombs so there was a, a recent SKCD which is a fantastic um, comic strip about technology and programming for most of the part of science um, which basically claimed or repeatedly claim, which is already, is already out there um, that um, honey does not uh, go bad And that there have been found um, some jars of honey, still edible,
1: inside Egyptian tombs. Mm -hmm. And and it's funny because in part of the claim they uh, cite a relatively reliable source, which is the Smithsonian. um, That says, you know, modern, modern archaeologists excavating Egyptian tombs have often found something unexpected amongst the artifacts pots of honey, thousands of years old and yet still preserved. Through millennia, the archaeologists have discovered the food remains unspoiled and unmistakable testament to the eternal shelf life of honey. Yeah,
0: which uh, has a bunch of caveats. Yeah, That's uh, and, another question, but... Uh. Yes.
1: And I, uh, you know, I have to admit myself uh, uh, when I saw something like this uh, previously and I had seen it from, I believe, the Smithsonian, I accepted it. So here's a good case to practice uh, scientific skepticism, I guess. Absolutely, and Sean Duggan uh, has found that there
0: seems to be no clear evidence for this. Uh, the closest is found um, is found that in 1907 uh, the explorer Theodore Davis regarding the tomboy Yuya and Tiju. <laughs> uh, he found something they thought it was honey, but he subsequently proved to be natron, which is a different Egyptian thing, which
1: I absolutely don't know what it is. <laughs> and I we- believe it's a plant derivative as well, but like uh, a sap.
0: Okay. Ah. Natron Netro, is a naturally occurring mixture of sodium carbonate, decahydrate, and about 70% so- sodium bicarbonate, which ah. so is just like a dust. And what does it do? Well,
1: I encourage you to look at Wikipedia. And that's what I'm doing. (laughs) Uh,
0: It's just a type of soil or or stone.
1: Yeah, it's a salt mixture.
0: Um, Yeah, maybe they use it to... For preservation. Wait, wait wait, wait a second. So, natron is basically sodium carbonate and sodium bicarbonate. Right? So, it's a white yeah. powder. Uh, well, it's a, it's a white colorless when pure, varying to gray or yellow when impurities. Okay. So, it's, it's, it's a dust. How can it be uh,
1: thought to be honey? Surely, honey is not the dust? <laughs> no, I, I really don't know. So, um, it, again, it could have been, you know, in the dark... Um, you know, in 1907, when they're exploring uh, these tombs and stuff, you know, they may, you know, have had that natron mixed with a liquid. Who knows? Who knows? It contained only a liquid.
0: So they say it was a liquid. Well, I don't know. Anyways, um, maybe it was a sludge of natron. Yeah. Um, I, I also attempted to answer this question, and I couldn't find anything better than that. Um, however, I did find a list of so an inventory of everything that was found in King's tomb, mm-hmm. and that includes honey. Um, so honey was found there, but it doesn't answer the question because, you know, it's not surprising that they put some honey in some jars next to some of the some of the uh, kings they um, they buried. But that doesn't mean the honey didn't go bad. Yes. Which is, which is the, the, the thing which I find quite surprising. And in many cases, when I, I looked for other sources, maybe you can find sources that say that they found honey. They never say they found honey which was edible. The mm-hmm. only places where I found uh, this claims, so the, the, the honey was still good, are places that in fact promote honey. And they say, oh, honey is so antiseptic that nothing, you know, lasts since the Egyptian times, which we also found that is not necessarily true. Um, there are some bacteria that uh, live, in, live in honey, mm-hmm. they, are, they are rarer than normal bacteria for sure. And of course, f- it's antiseptic because it doesn't, it's, not, it's not moist, it's not mixed with water. If you mix it with water, you make mead.
1: Yes. Um, Well, there we have a related question uh, to this. It's uh, another question from um, a while back, uh, December 2011, that says, Does honey ever go bad? Yeah. And, you know, even the National Honey Board website does say that, uh, you know, it's difficult to determine the health life. um, But for practical purposes, the shelf life of two years is often stated. Uh, properly processed, packed, and stored, it can retain its quality for a long time. But you know, if it you can have chemical changes, you know, it darkens, it loses its aroma and flavor, or it crystallizes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah.
0: I mean, this this stuff is fine. The problem the problem is that if it gets mixed with with water, some stuff, or with water, or with some specific bacteria, then it can go bad. It can yeah. contain uh, also botulinum, I think, or some other. Uh, really really bad uh, bacterial infections yeah. so they have a shelf life not because the material inside never goes bad or goes bad that's almost never the case Any, yeah. pretty, pretty much anything which is inside these jars is sterile you know, it's been boiled yeah. so as long as the jars if you have, if you have beans, they're going to be good the problem is when this kind of stuff, uh, when, when the packaging s- starts leaking or it gets broken and so on, and, and that's why they have a shelf life. If the yeah. packaging is perfect, then it's likely that most of these things
1: are actually pretty safe. Yeah. So in, in, an interesting question, um, you know, it, it definitely made me, uh, you know, think about, you know, my preconceived notions on that and uh, the sourcing that I had heard about it, and Absolutely. I do kind of love the XKD XKCD comic that they did. You know, he's he's now a uh, you know a Egyptian uh, pyramid honey truther. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, so uh, you can find that joke on uh, www.xkcd.com/1717. Uh, yes. Um, other interesting question from the past couple of weeks is are refugees in the uk so political refugees in the uk holidaying in in the countries where they fled from so the daily express which is a english tabloid claims that um, we have people in this country who have uh, come here claimed uh, asylum and then went back on holiday in the places where they claimed asylum from so if i am uh, claiming asylum from I don't know, Uh, Syria or Iraq, (laughs) then I go back to Iraq for for the holidays.
1: Uh, (laughs) This one is one of those where you just have to kind of look askance at the person making the claim and going, are you, you know, insane? Uh, Apparently it comes from the claim by an MP by the name of Adam Holloway who thought that his barber, who happens to be a refugee, wasn't available one day. Um, it, the, the source, uh, from the guardian says, you know, we have people in this country who come here, says Holloway. And I couldn't have my hair cut the other day for that reason. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and, you know, so his barber, um, did reply that, well, yeah, I wasn't available that day, but I wasn't in Iraq where I'm a- refugee from. I was in Great Yarmouth. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he did go on a holiday. That part is true. He just didn't go back to the um, country that uh, he was a refugee from. Um, it, 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 it almost boggles the mind how someone could make such a leap. Now, I will state there are instances where people who are refugees from you know, war-torn areas and such have gone back to those war-torn areas but they're not going on holiday Um, some of them are attempting to sneak back in order to maybe extract family members or to you know if there's uh, other types of upheaval going on in that area are attempting to you know bring aid to you know um, their fellow citizens uh, from the war-torn area but those instances are relatively rare
0: Yes and that that can probably happen and, and in fact there is another
1: another answer sort of getting to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can also look at uh, um, you know the claims where someone may be a refugee from say um, you know Lebanon during the Lebanese Civil War back in the 80s but if they go back you know 20 years later 30 years later it's not Again, it's not the same thing. The conditions have changed in those number of years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I used to work with a friend who was Cuban, and he ran away from Cuba, and he was a refugee. And and then one day he went back on holiday. (laughs) I mean, but he, he left Cuba when he was five, and he was like 30.
1: Yes. So, again, there's, you know... But I think this is pretty much kind of the same sort of uh, mentality that, you know, um, is, you know, in the United States viewed as a very uh, anti-immigration, anti-refugee type of uh, attempt to make these people seem um, all the more frightening and undesired elements within the society. And, you know, it it is a despicable... uh, uh, way of uh behaving in, in my personal opinion
0: absolutely um so let's uh, let's do some shoutouts to uh the best best users uh in this last couple of weeks and we're gonna go quickly because we are already over 45 minutes but the names are tim who did in last week did 393 rep rugon 170 Gene Doggan, 125, and Jason R, uh, 103.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so Tim had uh, some great uh, answers again. Uh, he, one of them was uh, the refugees in the UK uh, holidaying in the countries that they fled from, as well as uh, addressing the claim that uh, Tyrannosaurus rexes were once herbivores, and then talking about the uh, state of Texas having the worst maternal mortality rate in the developed uh, world uh, so excellent ec- answers from Tim
0: uh. yes um, Rogan also has um, a few answers uh, he's got 10 answers the two biggest ones are one about uh, whether there are thousands of Islamic terrorists entering the United States which I think is acclaimed by Donald Trump and <laughs> another one is Did Saul Alinsky dedicate a book uh, to Lucifer and act as hillary clinton's mentor so yeah politics uh yeah he <laughs> said john Duggan or ian Doggan, uh depending where he's from um he has been here for a long time yes and he has given many answers asked many questions in in the last week uh he talked about bhutan Mm -hmm. The answer about gluten.
1: Yeah, which is uh, an interesting question and a decent claim. Um, So, Jason R., uh, one of my personal friends, uh, was answering a question about eating uh, diatomaceous earth and does that have any benefits? Yeah, I don't really want to know. Probably not, (laughs) I guess. Uh, It's, yeah, it, it, well, actually, there, I, I did like his, an, his answer because uh, it does kind of start off, I think, as dismissing it um, and perhaps for the reasons of the claim that it detoxes your body. But then he goes on to say that actually there are a couple of studies that show some potential benefits. However, they haven't done much studies. One of them is perhaps lowering cholesterol and the other one is uh, benefits to bone health. But, um, you know, the same effect could be made from ingesting any other form of silica, such as sand, glass, or whatever it may be.
0: So, um, last thing, welcome to a new user. You chose David C., a user that comes from cross-validated and quantitative finance and data science. So, welcome, David C. Uh, He's been a member for four days now. And I hope you have fun. And
1: and I hope hope you get a chance uh, to ask or answer some uh, questions on the site. Um, We don't bite. Well, I do if you ask nicely. (laughs) So, uh,
0: thank you very much, everyone, for listening to this sixth podcast, and thank you, Steve, for
1: um, chatting with me. Well, always a pleasure, Marco, and uh, again, if anybody else would care to join us, uh, I would be more than uh, happy to include you in on the discussions and the planning for these Podcasts, as well as if you have ideas for what we should uh, focus on next in terms of our canonical and follow-up questions. And with that, I think it's time to say good night to everyone. Good night and thank you. OK, bye-bye. A particle is essentially a set of relations, a set of
0: relations that
1: reach out to connect.